Father God, we just pray for the word this morning. I just ask you, Lord, that we would be willing to hear, that we would be willing to change, and that, and that we might recognize that we've got a hard heart that needs to be softened. And that, God, that you're the one who can change us. No one else can, can, can soften a hard heart but you. And I'll be the first to say that I have many times in my life had hard hearts and not willing to listen. Let us have humble, willing hearts this morning to hear your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, get out your Bibles with me and let's turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Anger management, I'm going to try so hard to finish. Um, got a lot of good stuff to say, a lot of scriptures to give you. And I don't want to be in a, in a hurry. I want to let the Lord speak to us and speak to us about our anger. The, the United States and the world have an anger problem. Just turn on the TV, go anywhere, go to any store, and you'll witness it. And pay attention to yourself, because you'll probably witness it in you, if you'll just pay attention to what you're saying. Ephesians 4, 26. When angry, do not sin. Do not let your wrath... Your exasperation, your fury, your indignation last until the sun goes down. Look at the next scripture, because look what happens. Leave no such room or foothold for the devil. Give no opportunity to him. What happens when you go to bed angry? You leave the door open for Satan. I know we want to think, yeah, but what about what the person did to me? That's not what this scripture is saying. Remove that and look at what the effects are for you to go to bed angry. You leave your door open for destruction. Not the person that has hurt you. Not the person that you're angry at. You are going to reap this if you go to bed with it. Everybody say amen. That's a good word for you. It's a good word for me. Don't go to bed angry. Have you all ever seen uh, Groundhog Day? Don't drive angry. Don't drive angry. You know, he's talking to the groundhog. Anyway, good one. Nice, nice, good, good response. Yeah. Don't go to bed angry. Let the Lord have it. Verse 28. Now, stay in this same frame of mind. This is the next scripture. Let the thief steal no more, but rather let him be industrious. Make an honest living with his own hand so that he may be able to give to those who are in need. Verse 29. Let no foul or polluting language, nor evil word, nor unwholesome or worthless talk ever come out of your mouth. But only such speech as is good and beneficial to the spiritual progress of others, as it is feeding to the, fitting to the need and the occasion that it may be a blessing to give God's grace, God's favor, to those who hear it. Verse 30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Do not offend or vex or sadden him by whom you were sealed, marked, branded as God's own, secured for the day of redemption of final deliverance through Christ from evil and the consequences of sin. Do you even let get on your radar your ability to grieve the Holy Spirit? Because this is a big one. This is not one we quickly overlook. 
Number one, I can grieve the Holy Spirit, but how do I? And it grieves me to think that I can. Our relationship to the Lord is so precious, and the Holy Spirit comes in to live in us to bring us the presence of God. It's the most treasure that we have that the Holy Spirit would make a home in me. And the Bible specifically says to you, to me, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. So let's don't over-spiritualize this. What does it mean to grieve the Holy Spirit? Look at the next verse, verse, 41, verse 31. Now, it just said, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Let all bitterness and indignation and wrath. Can you all read it? Is that kind of small? Passion, rage, bad temper, and resentment, anger, animosity, and quarreling, brawling, clamor, contention, and slander, evil speaking, abusive, or blasphemous language be banished from you with all malice, spite, ill will, or baseness of any kind. Be banished from you. Can anybody put together that there is, there is a reason why grieving the Holy Spirit is put in here with all of these things? It's because this is how we grieve the Holy Spirit. When the Spirit is in us, trying to move through us, trying to work out relationships and build and win people for the kingdom of God and to put you on the pathway of victory and breakthrough, but then you speak. Then you open up your mouth. Any of you ever been in a situation of, why did I just say that? I wasn't even thinking that. But I can't get it back. And it starts to set fires to everything around you. But the Holy Spirit is in you. And we can see that this is sandwiched in between, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Right before this scripture was, don't be angry. Right? Don't go to bed with this. Because it's a foothold for the devil. Then comes, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Remove all bitterness, remove all anger, remove all slander. Banish it from you. Now, big encouragement. God never gives you instruction that he will not equip you to be successful with. You can do this. All angry words, let them be banished from you. It kind of sounds like a... Um, back in the days of kings and knights. Banish. Anyway, sorry. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit by letting those things get lodged inside of you. Now, I want to show you something. Does anybody think that God has to exercise self-control? It's a pretty deep question. I'm going to give you a scripture where I think that it shows us that he does have to use self-control. Psalm 78, verse 38. Now, mainly what I've been reading from is the Amplified uh, Classic, I think is what it's called. Verse 38. But he, capital he, full of merciful compassion, forgave their iniquity and destroyed them not. Yes, many a time he turned his anger away and did not stir up all his wrath and indignation. Verse 39, for he earnestly remembered that they were but flesh, a wind that goes and does not return. Now, how do you read that? He was angry 
but didn't respond. He turned from his wrath. We are created like God. We want to go in a certain way. God wanted to destroy the Israelites, and Moses prayed, interceded, and God turned. When you are faced with hell, the Holy Spirit can change you right in the middle of it and keep you from further destroying you. Not the situation. So many times we think that we need to act out in order to help the situation, but the word is saying that's not going to help the situation. It's going to hurt you. Not only is it going to make it worse and destroy a relationship, but it's going to destroy you. Your anger, your bitterness, your contention is going to destroy you. God is in the healing you business. God is in the changing you business. God is in the restoring you business. This whole thing on anger is about God restoring you. We're not even talking about what happened. We're talking about your redemption, your freedom, your breakthrough. There is no undoing what's happened. I can't undo. God's not going to undo what happened. He's not going to not he's not going to wipe it away as though it it what didn't exist. It will always be there. The people that have hurt me in my life, that's never going to change. They hurt me. Now, how I heal from it can change. And God's saying, you're not going to heal if you do not let me have it. You're not going to heal if you stay bitter. And it's not going to hurt the people that hurt me. It's going to hurt me. I'm the one that is going to hurt. When God feels anger about something, we see it here. When God feels anger about something that we've done, something that was unwise or very wrong, he doesn't sit around and keep thinking about it and stir up his anger. It said that he remembered we're but dust. He remembers who we are. Oh, yeah. That's Paul we're talking about. Oh, yeah. I remember him. Yeah, he does do stupid stuff sometimes. But I'm not going to, God would say, I'm not going to stir up my anger. I'm going to turn the anger away. It says that he earnestly remembered that we're but flesh. Aren't you glad God doesn't hold a grudge? What happens when you think about what's happened? Doesn't your anger build? And the more you think about it, the worse it gets. And the fish gets larger and larger and larger. You caught this size fish. Your problem was this size. But the more you wait and you think and you sleep on it and you talk about it and you find people around you or around the water cooler to say how you've been done wrong, what does that do? It gets so big that you cannot function any longer. That's all you see is that problem. He just, instead of stirring up wrath against us, he remembers that we're but dust. One of the best things that we can do is when somebody makes us mad is right away be able to say, I make mistakes too. 
I'll be the first to say I've messed things up. I would encourage you, you better get good at forgiveness and bad at being angry. You want to get, you want to grow? Get good at forgiving and get bad at being angry. Does that make sense? Don't get good at being angry. Get bad at being angry. Psalm 106 verse 7. Our fathers in Egypt understood not nor appreciated your miracles. They did not earnestly remember the multitude of your mercies nor imprint your loving kindness on their hearts. But they were rebellious and provoked the Lord at the sea, even at the Red Sea. Nevertheless, he saved them for his namesake to prove the righteousness of the divine character that he might make his mighty power known. When we think that what God's asking us to do is too hard, remember that he does it for us every single day. God forgives me over and over and over and over and over. God forgives you over and over and over and over and over. Can you imagine God holding against me the things that I've done the same way that I hold things against other people? Can you imagine being in, that, in, in God's bullseye? Think about the things that you're angry about and how you hold people in your bullseye regularly. And think about God looking at you the same way. He doesn't. And I was created like him. I was created to look at people not through that filter, but through a filter of forgiveness. I want to ask you right now, how many of you here today are stuck in a situation that you just can't shake? You've held it for the longest time. I want to encourage you. I've lived angry, and I've lived in peace, and living in peace is better. And the wounds that I've incurred in my life... If I want to, even today, since I've forgiven and walked away, if I want to just start thinking about them again, it can, it can drop on me like a, a stone again. Just come right, it, it can show up very quickly. I can justify why I have a right to be mad. But I don't want to live that way. God set me free from it. Why would I want to pick that back up? What good do I have to be able to pick that back up? So if I could just ask you, have you been hurt? Everybody say yes. I know you have. It's real. Turn it over to God. Living in peace is so much better than living in anger. Let him be your vindicator. I love if I could just let God go deal with what the person did to me. Because I know that he will. It's pretty freeing to know God will get them better than I could ever get them. Can anybody follow what I'm saying? God's better at it. So let's look at five roots of anger. This is my goal. Number one, angry people, first of all, may come from angry families. Anybody here got an angry family? It's okay. I know you do. 
if you grew up in an angry house. How, how many here, do y'all mind to do this? How many here grew up in an angry, angry household? Yeah, all over the place. And those that don't have their hands up, you're lying. I'm kidding. No, you're not. Yeah. I'm telling you, in church, we're embarrassed to even share that anything's wrong because you think that we're going to be looked at funny. Why? Because the church looks at you funny if you've made a mistake, which is stupid. We're full of people that make mistakes. Jesus came back for the people that made mistakes. Most people who grew up in an angry household either try to get stronger than the angry people or they cower down under it and just let it control them. In an angry household, everybody deals with every situation with anger. If you want something you're not getting it, get angry. If you're potty training a little boy and he doesn't go where he's supposed to, get angry. The television stops working, get angry. Everything is anger. If you're not being what I want you to be with me, get angry. If you're, not, if you're not getting paid enough at your job, get angry. If I'm not getting enough attention, get angry. If that's where you are today and you're blaming your anger on someone else, I want to encourage you, that's a sneaky way of not taking responsibility of your behavior. That's harsh. <laughs> that's harsh. But anger's not the answer. Okay, so maybe you, you fit in, in group one. Number two, roots of anger. Entitled anger, hidden repressed anger. Can you go to the next one? Repressed anger, blaming. You're justifying it. God offers us a life filled with the Holy Spirit where no matter what anyone does to us, you can trust him to deal with it and you can stay happy while he's doing it. Did anyone hear that? No matter what you're facing, if you will allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life, he can help you work through it and keep your joy doing it. Jesus, Holy Spirit, knows. And until we let Jesus deal with what's going on inside of us, we never really have the freedom to know what he wants from us. Do you know that the word of God says that he is the healer of the brokenhearted? So many here today have a broken heart. Well, Jesus is the answer. And I want us to look at some scriptures because let me tell you, deep-rooted anger is a real thing. About the way you've been treated in life, about the things you didn't get, about the things that people said, about the things that people didn't say. You may be even be in a situation in your marriage where everybody is just pulling from you and no one is doing anything for you. Don't spend another day of your life giving up your joy because somebody else isn't doing what they should be doing. My joy is not connected to what other people are doing. If I'm allowing other people to have my joy, my life is going to be a manic depressive life. And mainly down. But up, down, up, down, up, down. That was a Morgan Wallen song I was trying to refer to, but y'all didn't get that one either. Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has qualified me and anointed me to preach the gospel of good tidings to the meek, the poor, and the afflicted. He has sent me to, the, to bind up and heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the physical and spiritual captives, and the opening of the prison and of the eyes to those who are bound. 
Can we not get in a hurry to proclaim the... Oh, let's go back. Uh, Yeah, 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 wherever I just was. And the opening of the prison and of the eyes to those who are bound. What this tells me is your prison doors are already open. Part of why you need to be a part of a body, part of why you need the Holy Spirit is to realize what doors can be walked through. If not, you're going to believe a lie and stay inside doors that are open. You've walked an aisle, you've received the Holy Spirit, you've received Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've been baptized in water, but you still sit inside a locked, an unlocked door that you've not been guided out. That's why the church is here, is to be able to say, you're living in a prison. And I want to give you a testimony of how I walked out of that. Yeah, I was saved, but I still was there. That's why we need to be discipled, because I can give my heart to Jesus, but remain where I was. Do you realize that discipling is in order to build up and to grow and to lead other Christians to know who Jesus is and to know how to walk it out in their life? You can walk an aisle and never be discipled. You can stay in your prison. Yeah, but I get Jesus. I got Jesus. My my gates have been unlocked. They're unlocked, but have you walked out of them? How many here, don't raise your hand, still live in a prison of fear? How many here still live in a prison of rejection? How many here still live under under the chains of addiction? Well, this scripture right here is telling me that my doors are open, but you need someone to help you walk out. This whole thing on anger, you've probably been saved most of your life, but you're still battling anger. Well, I want you to know the prison doors are open. You can overcome anger, but we just need to get together and walk through this together. If left on my own, I'll stay angry. I'll just tell you, I cannot make it on my own. I've tried. Left alone, I'm left with my own thoughts. I'm left with my own interpretation of the word. I'm left with my own interpretation of my own testimonies. I need other Christians. I need the Holy Spirit to help lead me and guide me into all truth. The Holy Spirit in you is going to speak truth to my life. You're sitting in a jail cell that's open. He gives liberty and freedom to the captives, opening the prison doors and the eyes to those who are bound. Verse 62, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and of the day of his vengeance to comfort all who mourn. God's going to vindicate you. There is a supernatural comfort to know To those out there, there is a supernatural comfort for you to know that if you're brokenhearted, the Holy Spirit is here for you. Because of that, if you're here brokenhearted and you're asking the Holy Spirit to help you, you are going to be better off today just because of that. Just because you're here. But let's look at this. this, if If I could make a point today, this is the point. Isaiah 63. So it says, the Spirit of the Lord is on me to set me free, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, to grant consolation and joy to those who are in mourning in Zion, to give them an ornament, a garland or diadem of beauty instead of ashes, the joy instead of mourning, the garment of expressive praise instead of a heavy burdened spirit and, a, and failing spirit. Now I want you to catch something. I want to I stop where it said, 
to give them an ornament of beauty instead of ashes. Y'all know the song. We've sang this a lot. If you've listened to Christian music at all, a lot, beauty for ashes. Y'all have all heard that expression. We like to say that. He gives us beauty for ashes. Well, I want to give you an, an, an encouragement word today. You can't have the beauty without giving up the ashes. Now, catch this. It's one of the biggest mistakes that we made. We think, well, I'm just going to hang on to these ashes a little bit. But God, I want the beauty. Make, make me beautiful. I want, I want to receive your beauty. But I'm going to hold on to this that that person did to me. But Lord, give me beauty for ashes. But I'm going to hold on. No. No, he, he makes an exchange when he comes. He says, give me these ashes and I'll give you beauty. But what happens is we hold on. Yeah, I've got Jesus in me, but I'm still mad as hell at that person. Does anybody see the problem? I want to keep hell with me. You think, no, I just want to keep my unforgiveness. No, you want to keep hell. You're saying, I want Satan to stay close to me. But God, give me all that you have for me. But I'm going to hang on to my section of hell right here. Can't have this. And the Lord's saying, no, that's not what I paid for. I paid for all. How would you like to go to the store and get a portion of what you paid for? I won't accept that. I want it all. I paid for it all. Give it all to me. They give you the computer, but they don't give you the charger. What good does that do? They don't give you the battery. They don't give you the life. They give you the shell, but no life. Nope, God, I'm going to hang on to this part. And what does God say? I have opened the door for you to walk out, but you are making a decision to stay. I'm not being mean to you. I'm not punishing you. You are choosing to stay. I've got so much more to say, but I'm going to stop right there because you are choosing. And I want to let you know today the Lord gives you a choice. Life or death. This thing that hurts is real. And God wants to heal that broken heart. He doesn't just want to say, I just want you to white knuckle this thing and I'm going to give you, your life's going to be great if you'll just forget this. No, he doesn't say that. He says, let me have it and let me heal you. Let me restore you to a condition that was better than when you went through it. Let me restore you. But in order for me to give you the beauty, I want your ashes. I paid for it. My son went to the cross and paid a nasty death for what you're carrying so that you won't have to carry that any longer. Not only do I want to remove that from you, I want to heal you. Not only do I want to heal you, but I want to restore you in such a way that you can help others overcome the same thing that you've been through. That abuse that you took from your parents as a child, that abuse that you took from jobs, that abuse that you took from a spouse, that lying and stealing and physically hurting and verbally hurting, I want you to let me have that and let me heal you from that. 
Glory to God. We're just talking about anger, but I'm telling you, this thing is so large. This beauty for ashes, oil of joy for, for your mourning. Your mourning isn't supposed to last forever. It lasts for a season. It lasts for a time. You do need to mourn, but then there's time for joy. And the prison doors have been opened. So this morning, I'm just going to stop here, and um, I'm just going to ask you. We're going to stand, and I'm going to pray over you. But if you need more prayer, if you need somebody to agree with you, or maybe just to hear your story, the, the couple that was up here to pray, my deacons, my staff, we're here to pray with you. We go out there to visit, to eat snacks, and I saw uh, maple syrup out there. Something's going to be good. <laughs> I just saw the syrup, and I'm like, oh, yes, Jesus is coming today. <laughs> but can everybody just be patient for just a second? Now, we're going to pray, and we're going to say some things that are going to start the ball rolling. But this stuff just doesn't poof, disappear. It, it takes, it takes a, it's a journey. It's a walk. Walking out of your hell takes a few steps. And you're going to feel good. We're going to pray for you this morning. But then you're going to get home and hell's going to be there. And you've got to keep walking. And you've got to keep forgiving. And you've got to keep fueling yourself with the word and with the spirit and with the body. Because I'll tell you, Satan will show up ready to fuel you back up. He'll be out there with the gas, ready to stick it right in your spot. How many of you know the moment you think you're over it, you get a trigger that just relives everything that you've just walked through? I think I'm over something until I get going again, and then there it is. You, know, you guys stand up with me, please. The other two roots of, of anger are fear and unmet needs. Fear and unmet needs and being controlled. So I want to encourage you. Maybe I'll do it next week. I don't know. I, I, I hate to leave y'all hanging. We're going to pray. And I'm going to ask you to consider trying this week, trying to read every scripture on anger, trying to read every scripture on for forgiveness and bitterness if, you sh if you're struggling. But don't just say, okay, pastor, I'll try. No, do. Yeah, I'll give it a try. I never liked that expression. No, go do it. And when you fail, get back up and try it again. And when you mess up and you feel like, oh, I've just fallen off the wagon, call somebody that you can trust to help you get back on the wagon. Falling off the wagon is just part of life. If you're dieting and you eat a few bites of ice cream, don't eat the whole gallon. Stop. <laughs> eat a couple bites and get back on the wagon. Father God, in Jesus' name, just going to speak over you. Today is the day of your turnaround. Not only for the things that have happened to you in the past, but how you handle things in the future. 
Thank you, Lord, that no one is leaving here today angry. Just take a moment and let's just let the Lord know what these things that we're angry about. Just tell him. He already knows. If you're really willing, then let's just say, Father God, I give you my ashes. I give you my bitterness and my unforgiveness. And right now, Lord, I just release that situation and that person. And Lord, I trust you to handle them in the way that they need to be handled. You are the righteous judge. You love justice. And I just release right now these situations. Father God, as I try to pick these back up, I just ask you to bring conviction, bring truth back into my heart to not let me pick these back up. And when I do, let people around me recognize and help me to let it go again. Today, I step out of my prison because your word says those doors have been opened. I step out of the prison of fear. I step out of the prison of bitterness. I step out of the prison of anger. There will no longer be a spirit of anger on me. You have given me a spirit of peace and love and joy. I have the mind of Christ. I have the fruit of self-control. In Jesus' name, set us free. Father God, I just ask that, that we as Christians, we as Christ followers would be sensitive to each other and be willing to help walk a mile with one another. Help us, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.